Okie dokie, oh. a podcast for those addicted to the study of scripture. Welcome fellow addicts, this is your safe place to OD. Samuel! Here I am. What are we going to talk about today? Today we are continuing our journey through the Gospels. This is Gospels Part 24. Wow, in the previous episode we had all kinds of drama that happened in the story of Jesus. Uh, we we picked up in the episode before that where he was in his hometown and he was preaching in the synagogue and they were marveling and then another point they were taking offense at him and then he kind of retorted back saying that uh, the the biblical story has shown that oftentimes the the pagan nation peoples have better faith than you know God's chosen people yeah. among Israel and when they heard that man they did not like it and we talked about the in- intricacies of what it meant for them driving him out of town uh, and I know the text says where there's a, a bluff or a cliff but the geography doesn't appear to be that way and then that whole aspect of him passing through their midst is that miraculous where he just evaded their escape um, and then we got introduced uh, in the story about this royal official who traveled several miles, 20 miles, whether one day, multiple days, to come to Jesus uh, and ask him to heal his son. Yeah. Uh, he was at the point of death. And we had this interesting conversation about um, the aspect of miracles, whether is it miracles that produces faith or is it faith that produces miracles and um the, the the man just wanted his son to be healed, and Jesus was moved by that and told them that he was going to be healed at that moment, and the man believed, and then he had another opportunity to believe when he went home and found out that the exact time from a distance at which Jesus had said those words, his boy started to get better. And so um, we, j- we kind of left off with this powerful uh, call to read the, the narrative and let it be a call to believe in and of itself in God and his story and not, you know, maybe get hung up on the whole mechanism aspect yeah. of it. Yeah. Yeah, that that was a, I forgot about, that was good. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> and I have to say, in all of that review, I can't believe that you didn't bring up Nin Jesus. Oh, I, yeah, that's yeah. pretty, that's my fault because that was incredible. <laughs> Yeah, that was good. But you know what? Here's a cool thing. The story is just going to keep getting better. Let's do it. You think it won't. Yeah. But it does. <laughs> well, where are we going today in the text? All right. We are back in just the book of John alone. We're going to be looking at John chapter 5, starting right at the top, verse 1. And I'm ready when you are. Let's do it. You got a PDF as a listener, so check it out as we read through. All right, here we go. John chapter 5, verse 1. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, there are certain things that we mention as we go along, and I'm just going to keep mentioning them. Uh, number one, don't overread this phrase that there was a feast of the Jews as if somehow John is separating himself from Judaism. Right? Uh, in, in English, it would probably sound better if we just said there was a Jewish feast. That way it doesn't sound quite so separating. But whatever. Um, I guess the important thing is well, if he's going up for a feast, it's got to be one of the three. There are three pilgrimage festivals Passover, 
Pentecost and Tabernacles or Booths, Sukkot, whatever. Uh, So which one was this? Well, Samuel, unless you know the answer, I think we're just going to have to go with we don't know because people have been arguing about this one forever. Hmm. Um, There's no point in really taking a hard position on anything because, you know, you don't know. Uh, If it was Pentecost, maybe this is an important thing. If it was Pentecost, what we would be saying is, as we've been going along in the story, the last time he was in Jerusalem, now approximately 50 days have passed since the last time he was there. So, you know, maybe, could be that. Uh, If this was the Feast of Tabernacles, well then, six months have passed. Well... That's also reasonable. I mean, it's always difficult to know what kind of time is passing in between the verses, but okay, that one's really possible. And then finally, if it was Passover, then a full year obviously would have passed. Um, but that one seems, I, I got to say, that one seems pretty unlikely because as soon as we get to John chapter six, which is actually going to be a while, we'll do some stuff in between, but we would already be at Passover again. Hmm. So it's probably one of the other two. If somebody held a gun to my head and said, pick one, I'd probably say tabernacles. But really, it's not worth arguing over. Whatever. Probably the important point is, if you're, if you're playing this movie in your head, you're following along, you're, you're trying to imagine all this stuff, the important thing is you need to put Jesus back in Jerusalem celebrating some sort of pilgrimage festival. Yeah. Yeah. That's the thing. So, now we get to the story part. Ready? Mm-hmm. Verse 2. Now. There is in Jerusalem, by the sheep gate, a pool, in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. Now, for some of you listening, your your Scripture may stop right there. And if you'll notice, you go on to verse 5. And for others of you, you have more text and a verse 4. I'm going to go ahead and read the stuff in between, and then we'll talk about it later. So, blind, lame, and paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel of the Lord went down at certain seasons into the pool and stirred the water. Whoever stepped in first after stirring after the stirring of the water was healed of whatever disease he had. Now again, we'll get to the extra bits in a minute, but let's go ahead and work our way through. Uh, number one, this pool that they're talking about. Okay, so the sheep gate is on the north wall of the temple. And uh, this pool was originally... Uh, It it didn't have anything to do with the temple or the city per se. It was just a reservoir. They created it. They they created a a simple dam, um, created this little reservoir. And in fact, uh, later they even created a second one. So it was like two pools. And they ended up being the water supply for the temple. So, I mean, you can imagine, I mean, you might think of it as, you know, ponds or lakes or however big they were or whatever. They were reservoirs. Well, later... They actually became large, and I mean really large and deep, rectangular uh, pool. It's like even 40 feet deep in some places. Really, this was big. Hmm. 
but it, it was it they actually built it at this point. It was a, a rectangular pool surrounded by columns. So you can imagine them on all four sides. And then it was actually split into by a columned wall. So it's, again, now it's as if there are two pools. And as we said, it's on the north side. That's where the gate is. The pools are kind of on the northeast corner of the Temple Mount. And here's the thing. I mean, the reason I'm talking about all this is while you're trying to paint that movie picture in your head, there's sort of that question of, well, was this inside the city walls or was it outside the city walls? Well, we're not sure because at some point, Herod Agrippa, he extends the walls so that the pools are contained within. We just don't know the exact timing on that. So were they inside the walls during this story or not? Eh, whatever. People argue too much. I don't know how much we really care. It does. I mean, I will admit the text kind of reads as if it was inside the city walls, but whatever, we don't know. And then also, this is kind of important, uh, archaeologists have kind of struggled with this one. Uh, And it even, uh, for a long time, they were claiming that whatever John wrote here in this gospel, he just made it up because it didn't really exist. (laughs) But ultimately, (laughs) see, you dig deep enough, and I think this is just always the case, John's description turns out to be accurate. They found this pool. They, they, I mean, and so now it's like, yep, John was right. And, you know, I sort of have that feeling about all of Scripture. No matter what you think in there is wrong right now, one way or another, somehow science, the history, archaeology, or God himself, somebody is going to show how, guess what, turned out to be true. Mm-hmm. But anyway, you got these two pools, and then for whatever it's worth, there were also like some smaller little baths that were connected. I don't know if that's the right word for whatever they said, but they're smaller things. Uh, and just to, to again, to help your picture, your image, that's more likely what was getting stirred up and the invalids dipping in, that kind of a thing. Now, uh, Samuel, when I say the word invalid, what, what, what does that really mean to you? What kind of pops into your mind? For me, it's someone who has some type, some type of physical impairment, whether it's paralysis or um, some type of defectiveness with their senses, whether it's hearing or sight or something like that. Something that'll, that does not allow them to function normally okay. uh, on an everyday scale. Okay. Well, that's uh, you're actually doing better than me. I, I When I hear that word, I almost always just go straight to the paralyzed. But, and I don't know if other people do that or not, but for what it's worth, just so you see here in the text, they do include three. I doubt this is an exhaustive list, but they say blindness, lame, and paralyzed. Um, so, uh, for whatever it's worth, I also kind of wondered, gosh, what's the difference between lame and paralyzed? So if 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 you are lame, that's talking about just being impaired in some way. Like like let's just talk about a limb because that's easy to think and talk about. Uh, it's just not working properly. Maybe you've got some sort of I don't know problem with the muscles, a dystrophy of sorts, or or maybe you've got some sort of nerve damage or or something weird there. It doesn't somehow it's not working properly, but you know you can do some stuff with it. And then paralyzed is separate in that it's just a complete loss. 
you can't do anything with it except, you know, maybe swing it out in the air or something. You know what I'm saying? It, it's just, it's just gone. So for whatever it's worth, blind, lame, and paralyzed. And, and we get it. They're all sitting around. But then we had that extra bit about the angels stirring the water and all that. So what's the story here? Well, the early manuscripts, the most reliable ones, they just, they don't have this. It's not in the story. Now, the thing is, though, as we continue reading, especially when we get down to verse 7, it really fits in with whatever it is we're supposed to be understanding in the story. So, on one hand, it doesn't belong there because it wasn't in the earliest manuscripts. And on the other hand, it really is a good piece of information that helps us in understanding the story better. So, it appears to have been added and and you never know, it may even have been added for the express, expressed purpose of trying to explain what's going on by the time we get down to verse 7. But, mm-hmm. you know, what are you going to do? It's, it's what we have now, and, you know, we can recognize, hey, it wasn't there earlier on, it was there later, and just take that for what it's worth. Uh, but what it's telling us, okay, so you got that tradition, uh, on occasion, an angel comes down, stirs the waters. When he does, when he does, the first one in gets healed. And now, just stop for a second and imagine, Samuel, you're part of a culture, and you are living with miracles happening in your midst, periodically or regularly, or however you want to say that. And this this has nothing to do with Messiah. It's nothing to do with Jesus. Nothing. Just miracles happen in your community. And it wasn't just here at this pool. We have lots of stories about miraculous things that happened in the temple with regard to the services and all of those things. Imagine being in a culture where that was a reality. We don't have that in America. And, uh, you know, some argue, well, that's because we've progressed so far with science and medicine or whatever. Okay, maybe, but maybe not. It's, it's a different thing to live in a culture like that. And you also have to think about this. Samuel, let's just say for a moment that you are in some way categorized as an invalid. You're laying down there at the pool and somebody beats you to the waters when they get stirred. Okay, Mm -hmm. if they don't get healed, are you going to come back? (laughs) Seems like a pretty big waste of time. Right. So if people keep showing up at this pool day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, there had to be something to it. Right. I mean, this couldn't have just been lore myth, tale, it had to be that something was really going on here. Because otherwise, why would people keep coming back? Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. So isn't, I mean, that's important to know. Mm -hmm. These people experienced this. And, you know, I don't even know what other word to use except regularly, whatever that means. So that's kind of a cool picture. Mm -hmm. All right. So there's our backdrop. Anything, Samuel? No, I'm just interested to see where it goes. (laughs) Okay, so verse 5. One man was there 
who had been an invalid for 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? And the sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I am going, another steps down before me. Now, I'd actually like to do something, Samuel. Okay. We're going to practice being first-time readers. And, and the reason we're doing this is because this is the way that we should read our Bibles every single time. We need to read, and as we go along, we need to act like we don't know what's coming next. Well, in all so that we can, honesty, it's been a while since I've gone through the Gospels because I've spent so much time in the Torah the past few years. So it kind of lends itself for this exercise. Perfect. Yeah, this is great. So we're going to do that. So, so here's a question. We talked about the different types of, of invalids. Uh, so which was this guy? Was he blind or lame or paralyzed? Um, well, I don't know about the blindness, but I... It, it seems to lend itself more to complete paralysis than just lameness because with how long he's been lying there and then uh, in verse 7 he says that he doesn't have anyone to put him into the pool, which seems to mm-hmm. imply like complete dependence. Yeah, yeah, it does. And, and I'm just going to say, at this point, we don't really know... What we do know is that his handicap, whatever it is, has made him slower than the others, and that he could be faster with help. This is true. (laughs) Yeah. Now, to be fair, I think most people reasonably imagine him being paralyzed. That's what I do. But, you know, we need to slow down a little bit. We've never read this before, right? We're pretending. And so... We need to let the text tell us more. Uh, And then another fair question, I'm just saying, so if he has no one to put him in the pool, well, how did he even get there? Got crickets. Yeah, it kind of makes you go, hmm, well, maybe he can get around a little bit. I'm I'm not sure because otherwise you got to figure you got somebody who's going, geez, dude, you're such a pain. Listen, I'll drop you off up there. But after that, you're on your own, pal. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I mean, it's it's a weird sort of circumstance. And so, again, I get it. It mostly looks like paralyzed, but we don't know. And it's and we're reading this for the first time. Here's another question, Samuel. How old is this guy? No idea. Right. We really don't know because he may have been an invalid from birth or he may have been injured. Well, we, we, we know that he definitely is older than 38. That's right. He is at least 38. We got that going for us. But he could have been injured. He, he could have, uh, you know, I mean, we know things develop uh, in our physical bodies, bad things sometimes, right? So there's that. So we don't even really know how old he is. Here's another one. How did Jesus know he'd been there a long time? And while we're at it, Samuel, how long is a long time? (laughs) Right? Is a long time all day? 
or many days, or is it weeks, or is it months? I mean, what what are we supposed to get? What's that image in our head? And how does Jesus know? Well, Samuel, what's what's Jesus been doing all of his life in relation to Jerusalem? Uh, Three times a year? Oh, he's been going up to participate in the festivals, the holidays. Yeah, yeah. He's been making trips to, Jeru- to Jerusalem for 30 plus years. And so maybe, maybe he has seen him at this pool a number of times. Or maybe it was the Spirit showing him that he's, you know, been waiting a long time. Just like Jesus has known things about other people and some of the stories we've looked at already. I mean, we don't know. But Jesus knew that he'd been there a long time. And if we're a first-time reader, you're kind of going, huh, I wonder how he knew. And think through the possibilities. And then, <laughs> I'm just going to, Samuel, I'm just, I'm just saying. So you're laying there at a pool where supposedly you've got an opportunity to be healed. And somebody walks up to you and they ask this question. Do you want to be healed? <laughs> now, on its face, could we not argue that that's a little bit of a dumb question? It sure seems like it. Right. Now, am I suggesting that Jesus would ever utter a dumb question? <laughs> no, I'm not. But I'm just saying we do this first time reader stuff. And so you got to see these. That's, that's a weird question. And then the guy answers and and. I think, I don't know, this is just interesting to me. What if Jesus had said something more like, and of course, I'm going to speak in modern lingo, but whatever. What if he said something like, dude, you've been coming here a long time. Do you really even want to be healed? Right? Now, of course, that sounds a lot meaner. I get it. But the funny thing is, even my little joke version right there fits with the way the man answers the question. Are you here because this is just what people do? People who need healing go sit here or whatever. Do you, are you really seeking it? Or are, are you a true seeker? Which maybe that's a much nicer way of saying it, right? But the man answers, and, and it's, it sounds like an explanation, but we could also take his answer to be something like, I do. I really do. But I just can't seem to be the first guy in the water. I can't work it out. Mm-hmm. It's just a, it's a crazy little interaction that happens right there. Yeah. And of course, I've, you know, spiced it up a little bit, you know, being first time reader, asking weird questions, whatever. But I think these are good for us to do. Hey, it's spice, good for us to spice do. is good. Life yeah. without spice is dull. True. It's bland. Hey. <laughs> That's right. So, all right, so we get there, and now Jesus has asked, do you really want to be healed? The guy's like, well, I, I, I can't. Which, you know, it's like there's an inferred yes in there, but, but there's reasoning for why it won't work. So we get to verse 8, and Jesus says this. Jesus said to him, get up, take up your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed and he took up his bed and walked. Now, that day was the Sabbath. 
Rut row. Yeah. Oh, now it's getting interesting. So here's a thing. John doesn't bother telling us this. Remember, he pointed out, hey, this was his first sign. This was his second sign. Well, scholars now kind of take over. And so they would tell us, here's the third sign. John doesn't let us know this anymore, right? But, the, you know, this is like the third sign. Uh, even though John's not making it explicit and, okay, honestly, people disagree about what is the list of, you know, signs or whatever. But let's just go with this is one. And, and then when you read this text, we have some who suggest that the man acted in faith and started to get up. And then the healing happened. Now, that's not completely unreasonable. But you have others who suggest that the man experienced the healing. Whether, you know, some kind of sensations or something, whatever. And then he got up because he knew that he now could. Now, this also is not unreasonable. And I would even say, given the text, I would probably lean toward the second one. But, you know, both are fine. Um, but notice how this kind of harkens back. It's, it's an echo of the thing that we talked about in the last episode or two. Okay, is, so, so is it the belief that's, that's bringing the miracle about? Or do the miracles somehow bring the belief and the faith about it? And we find, you know, both, neither, whatever. It's that same kind of arguing that people are doing about this verse. You know, we're not going to answer the question for you, but it, you can see it in there. But then that final little bit. Now, that day was the Sabbath. Why is John telling us this? Well, if this had happened on any other day, it wouldn't have been a big deal. I mean, you know, big deal that it was a miracle healing, but it, it wouldn't have been any sort of controversy. But because it's on the Sabbath, now all of a sudden we've got two controversies. Number one, Jesus performed a healing on the Sabbath, and we're going to find out this is a problem. Number two, the man, you know, Jesus told him to carry his bed, pick up his bed. Okay, carrying his bed on the Sabbath was also a problem. We'll talk about that more. Now, both of these things considered violations of the Sabbath, and Samuel, what are, what's the punishment for violating the Sabbath. I know in the past, the Torah showed that they were to put some people to death. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It could be death. So, whatever's going on here, these two things are a really big deal. And we're going to talk more about them as we continue. So, where are we at? Verse 10? Mm-hmm. All right. Verse 10. So, the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. All right, I'm going to repeat it again. When he says, so the Jews, all right, it's another example. The phrase is just being used to denote the religious leaders, right? I don't know about you, but somebody picking up their their little bedroll, somebody picking up a mat, carrying a mat, whatever, this seems like a pretty small thing, right? Yeah. I mean, you got to wonder, why, okay, why? Why would a thing like this 
be a violation of the Sabbath and, and potentially punishable to such a great degree. And, and you might start thinking to yourself, oh, those silly Jews, they sure made up a lot of crazy rules. Well, not so fast. <laughs> Time for you to do some reading, Samuel. All right, let me get my glasses on. All right, Exodus chapter 16, verses 28 and 29. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain each of you in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. Yeah. Now, people observe this in different ways, but you may have seen and heard of those people who literally... When the sun goes down on Friday night until the sun goes down on Saturday, they do not leave their home. They just sit there doing nothing all day. Others aren't quite so strict, but you can at least see in this verse how being out and about, doing stuff, whatever, it's, I mean, this really is a pretty limiting sort of holiday, this seventh day. Okay, how about Samuel, Jeremiah 17, verses 21 and 22. Thus says the Lord, take care for the sake of your lives and do not bear a burden on the Sabbath day or bring it in by the gates of Jerusalem and do not carry a burden out of your houses on the Sabbath or do any work, but keep the Sabbath day holy as I commanded your fathers. And you can't get much more explicit than that. (laughs) Do not carry stuff. Do you see it? Yeah. It's right there. So these aren't crazy rules. This is stuff that, I mean, it's in the, it's in the scriptures, right? Here's another one. Uh, Samuel uh, Numbers chapter 15 verses 32 to 35. While the people of Israel were in the wilderness, they found a man gathering sticks on the Sabbath day. And those who found him gathering sticks brought him to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation. They put him in custody because it had not been made clear what should be done to him. And the Lord said to Moses, The man shall be put to death. All the congregations shall stone him with stones outside the camp. (laughs) Wow. Jeez. Yeah, just gathering some sticks. And I mean, can you imagine just being back there? Hey, yeah, hey, everybody gather around. Um, Remember we talked about this whole Sabbath thing? Yeah, I'm not really sure what we're supposed to do here. So give me a sec. Let's go talk to God. Hey, God, what shall we do? Kill him. What? (laughs) What? (laughs) I mean, this is a big deal. God takes the Sabbath super seriously. Now, we can argue about some of the details within and all that kind of stuff, but you can at least see that, hey, this is Israel. These, these people are the Jews. They have a reason for the things they do. They're not always right. We know that. But them picking on this poor guy who just got healed is not crazy. Okay? Mm-hmm. It, we, we can see from all of this, just even moving about outside your home you're already entering into sketchy territory, carrying your bed just, you know, right out there in public. This is a clear violation. And now, Samuel, 
this is the crazy part for me. At least as far as the way John is telling the story. Jesus is the one who put this man in this precarious position. Technically, yeah. Yeah. Jesus said, take up your bed and walk. And so the guy did it. Now he's in trouble, or seemingly, so far. But Jesus is the one that told him to do it. Why would he do that? It's, it's, it's just kind of crazy. So, I mean, just, just so that we can actually say these words out loud. This man, not Jesus, is the one who is violating the Sabbath. But he's only doing it because Jesus told him to. And we really get no explanation for this. We're, we're going to keep reading and you're going to see it, it ultimately just, just kind of gets dropped. It's as if the carrying thing is only in the story to bring attention to the miracle. But, I mean, even that is just speculation. Uh, we'll try to address it more as we go, but that's a weird thing. Here's the Messiah, right? The bringer of life, eternal life. And he's like, you know, putting this guy in a very weird position with the rulers and leaders. Now, to be fair, we've mentioned this before, for the Jews to carry out a death sentence, first of all, required, you know, a lot of legal maneuvering. And second of all, they would have to get approval from Rome. They couldn't just do this on their own. And so we could also maybe even think, eh, Jesus knew he was safe. Mm -hmm. But it's still kind of weird. Yeah. Kind of weird. Well, and to maybe give some more context about how the Jews held the Sabbath, um, it's very different from how us Western in the even Westerners in the evangelical church have experienced the Sabbath. Yeah. Most people Mm. don't work on Sundays and you know, they don't mow their lawn or whatever, but, um, man, Jews treat the Sabbath as almost like a reset for their identity, um, with who they are, who God has told them they are back from the beginning of the creation story in Genesis one. Um, and it's this sacred space for them to, remind themselves of God's promises to them and to sort of rekindle this fire of life that says that your identity is not based on how much you produce or, you know, the things you accomplish in life or your mistakes. Your identity is based on you are a created being in the image of God and God has declared, you know, that creation good and for you to rest in that. And so when you have thousands of years of one people group celebrating that week after week after week, you know, it, of course you sh- they would treat it seriously. I mean, it's the first thing in the story that God has, God declared holy. If you go back to yep. uh, Genesis one and two, that's the very first thing God declared is holy. So I don't yeah. know. I just don't, don't give them a hard time because it, I mean, if we were over in the middle East, I'm sure our jaws would be on the floor because of how sacred they treat that time. And I think we would learn a lot and it would be edifying for us. Yeah. Yeah. I think if we, uh, any of us, Gentiles, Westerners, whatever you want to call it, actually took the time and, and gave it the same treatment that they do, I think we would be surprised the beauty that we would find. 
Yeah, and you said uh, excellent things. It's it's about uh, recognizing that it's about who we are, not what we do. That was a biggie. And then, uh, well, yeah, uh, you know what? Sabbath. It's a great topic, <laughs> and it's important. It's good. It's good. So, so here we had uh, the Jews are going. Hey, it's not law for you for to carry for you to carry your bed. And here's how he responds, verse eleven. But he answered them. The man who healed me, that man said to me, take up your bed and walk. So, as you can imagine, he's quick to explain. And, I mean, you know, not to, to throw shade or anything, but maybe shift the blame, if you know what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, I mean, he's got a good case for it, right? It's not his fault. I mean, if somebody told you, you're laying around 38 years, uh, unable to do who knows what. And this guy comes along and heals you. Seriously, whatever he told you to do, even if you knew that it was a violation of some, would you not do it? Whatever you may think you would do, I would just like to say, at the very least, this guy's actions are understandable. The fact that he obeyed and the fact that he then said, hey, he's a guy that told me to do it. Yeah, I, I like what you said there about trying to understand the man's actions. I know at this time of this recording, Kentucky has experienced a whole bunch of snow and ice compared to in the past, and people have been stuck in one place for just you know handful of days, and they're losing their minds. So take that feeling and then multiply that by thirty eight years, and then put yeah. yourself into this you know decision making time. Ooh, empathy's a good thing when done correctly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So verse 12, they asked him, well, who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? Now, the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. And I don't know if you pick up on it. I mean, it'll definitely become super obvious as we continue. But notice, the religious leaders now have a new target. And actually, I think this may be the end of the bed talk, carrying in the bed and all that. They they don't care about this man's violation anymore. They want the guy that told him to carry his bed because this same guy was also healing on the Sabbath, and by golly, that had to be stopped. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, so they've got a new target. Now, it's funny, the guy has no idea who Jesus is. Uh, Jesus slips away, and, you know, we know all along he's been trying to avoid a lot of confrontation. I mean, you know, he does some things here and there, and then he also, you know, you see him not wanting to be too popular. It's sort of going back and forth. Um and so maybe right here we're just going, well, you know, it's, it's not time yet. At least that's how it seems. But uh, I, I want to talk a little bit more about Sabbath. You know, um, you brought it up, the story brought it up, whatever. We've talked about it already, but maybe, maybe to get a better picture. We've got Sabbath, and, and if you're Jewish, um, they actually have 39 distinct categories of things that you cannot or should not do on the Sabbath. And I know when we hear things like that, we think, oh my gosh, the legalism and the goofiness. Or whatever. You know, hold on. 
They're just trying to be as right before God as they can be. And there's something interesting about these categories. So, uh, now, this is something that's been refined along the way, but the, the earliest foundations of these categories came about in a very interesting way. Samuel, you remember back when they're building the tabernacle? God gave them all kinds of instructions. You'll do this, and you'll do this, and you'll do this, and you got to do this this way, and you got to do that that way, and whatever. Well, he also told them at that time, very specifically, oh, and by the way, when you're doing all this stuff, whatever you do, don't do it on the Sabbath. So even though you're involved in doing something as great as building this special place for God's presence right here on the earth, even though you're doing that, don't do that on the Sabbath. Sabbath is more important than building the tabernacle. Well, these guys, and I think this is pretty smart, what they did was go back and look at all of the instructions for building the tabernacle and decided, okay, well, if we can't do any of those things on the Sabbath, then those things are going to make a great foundation for what exactly is the creative and productive work that we're not supposed to do. And so that's where all of these categories and all these things originated. And then, of course, you know, it got refined across time. So, I don't know. I think that's pretty smart myself. Yeah. Now, to how that relates to what we're doing, though, when you get to the first century, Jesus is there, whatever religious leaders are around, whatever. Well, there was already, we know this, there was a division in Israel regarding this topic of healing on the Sabbath. And it didn't matter if it was some sort of natural healing or something supernatural or whatever. And I'm going to call it the majority opinion was that you could heal only if a person's life was in danger. But there were others, and they saw it a little bit differently. And, and apparently, Jesus was in, you know, this second group. They felt that healing on the Sabbath was allowed, whether a person's life was in danger or not. And now, as we continue through the Gospels, and this is going to be so important for us to see. Jesus's position on this isn't about you are right or you are wrong. This is a law or this is not a law. It wasn't like that. It's more a question of priority. Jesus was, he was suggesting that it was more important to relieve suffering than it was to keep the rules about do not work on Sabbath. And this goes back to that common phrase, the Sabbath is for man, not man for the Sabbath. And for what it's worth, this whole idea of prioritizing conflicting laws, Jesus didn't make that up. This was already a very common thing and and an easy way to just recognize this. Uh, Samuel, how many laws do the Jews say that, that, that there are in the Torah? I think 613. 613. Well, some people don't know that. Some people do. Here's another thing. Those laws are divided into two groups. They have what they call positive commandments and negative commandments. Positive commandments would be something like, thou shalt. And the negative commandments would be something like, thou shalt not. Right? Mm -hmm. 
So having those two categories, what do you do if you find yourself in a position and two commandments seem to be in, in, in tension? There's, there's a problem. You can't do both. Well, it's a very common rule. The positive commandment supersedes a negative commandment. So if you have a choice of not doing something or doing something, and both of them apply, the answer is do the do something. <laughs> that came out weird. <laughs> but Mountain Dew commercial. Yeah, exactly. Do the do. Uh, so um, th- that already existed, and Jesus is just sort of adding on to that. And I, I just want to, this I think is a very important point. I'm going to say, Samuel, we know that Jesus did not violate the Sabbath. And how do we know that, Samuel? Because we argue that he was sinless. Yes, we, we know that he was without sin. Now, we know that he was without sin. And how do we know that, Samuel? Uh, because he overcame the, you know, wages of sin as death by being resurrected. Yes. He was resurrected. That is that hinge point, the pivotal moment, the proof that he was without sin. He had victory over death, and he attained the resurrection and eternal life. So we know that he was without sin. Therefore, we know that he did not violate the Sabbath in any way. It's important to see that because a lot of, you know, teachers and churches, etc., they, they get a little confused and, and they try to say that Jesus did violate the Sabbath and that he did it on purpose because he was trying to show that the Sabbath had been done away with. And this is a complete misunderstanding and we need to get that out of our heads right away. Yeah, I'm glad you said that too. One of the things I was going to say as a reference is uh, God himself tells the people of Israel back in Exodus when he's establishing all this. And this is Exodus chapter 31, verse 16. It says, so the sons of Israel shall keep the Sabbath to celebrate the Sabbath throughout their generations as a permanent covenant or an everlasting covenant, some translations say. And that suggests that it's not going to go away until heaven and earth pass away. I know we have language like that coming up in um, the text a little bit later. And then also just wanted to say, I feel like it's um, along the lines of stuff you said just now, but the way that the Jewish religious leaders are interpreting how to interact and live on the Sabbath, treat people, whether, you know, people who are sick or not, is very different uh, and very human response that could have errors compared to how God treats the Sabbath and how God interacts with people on the Sabbath. Um, And just as an example, like in my head while we were going through this, I'm like, man, I feel like the biblical story shows that God has a certain inclination or a closeness to those who are experiencing suffering or who are sick or who are yes, going does. through really hard, hard things. Like he, he is near to them, whether they realize that or not. And just as one example, in Ezekiel, it's a, one of the major prophets in chapter 34, verse 16, um, God saying through the prophet, and, you know, you can treat this either present time or future time in the kingdom world to come. But just to get a aspect of God's characteristic, he says, 
I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak. I will strengthen the weak, but the fat and the strong I will destroy. So I, I don't know. I just all those things together. Sabbath is everlasting. God has a priority for those who are suffering. I feel like it fits very well with what we're about to see in the story coming up. Yeah. Yeah. And it's so good because what you're doing, you're describing that as this is who God is. And you're completely right. And we, if we claim to be Jewish, Christian, whatever, if we claim to be his, then that needs to be who we are. That is carrying out his justice on the earth. Mm-hmm. His mercy, his love, etc. And actually, that's such a great point because you know how occasionally we try to point out, hey, look, there's a mercy sort of hidden in the story. Well, that's kind of what happens here. Think about it. If you got a guy, and let's just go with he's paralyzed, okay? He's been paralyzed for 38 years, and Jesus tells him to pick up his bed and go. Okay, Samuel, imagine first century Jew laying around, waiting to get healed, right? What do you think you own aside from a little bedroll? I mean, it can't be much. I mean... Yeah, you are completely dependent on the charity of others, most likely. I mean, you know, some cases could be different, but this bed may have been the only thing he had. So letting him carry it keep it, well, there there was a mercy in that. I was joking earlier about, wow, Jesus put him in this precarious position. It could have been just another form of mercy. So anyway, the point of all this, we shouldn't see Jesus changing the law or flagrantly ignoring the law in any way. That's not the picture that's being painted here for you. Oh, and then the the miracle doesn't change the guy's potential current socioeconomic status. If he's been in this one place for 38 years, it's, I feel like it's fair to say that it's not like he has a, an established previous home or a family that's waiting on him in some respects he would have to continue to use that bedroll even now as he is healed. So you bet it seems like a logical thing for Jesus to tell him to take it because he's going to need it later. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. And I just, I love pointing out those little hidden mercies, you know, Mm -hmm. because it's so easy to read right over them. Yeah. Okay. So here we are. He has, uh, you know, they're, they're now uh, trying to figure out who, who is this guy. And, and so we get to verse 14, and it says this, Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. Oh, <laughs> Yeah. Do you see any opportunity for people to misinterpret this one, Samuel? (laughs) Just a bit. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it's kind of funny. So, (laughs) and again, I think it's fun to look at the story this way. So, so here's this guy 
Jesus heals him, sends him off with his little bedroll, and now the dude gets caught. Uh Uh-oh, I wasn't supposed to be carrying my thing on the Sabbath. And Jesus is nowhere to be found. And then all of a sudden, Jesus shows up again, right? After after all that has transpired, it's like Jesus is being Mr. Funny Guy, Mm -hmm. you know? Uh, Okay, not really, but it's fun to read that way. But Jesus walks up and he says, hey, uh, he points out that he's been made well, you know, like, uh, I don't know, maybe it's kind of like a congratulations or, you know, something like that. But then he encourages him not to sin anymore. And he even says, uh, we just read it, don't sin so that nothing worse happens to you. Now, here's the crazy part, the scary part, the part where we all go, yikes. Is Jesus saying that our sicknesses, infirmities, etc., whatever, is he saying that they are the direct result of our own personal sin? I hope not. <laughs> okay, so this, the simple answer is no, of course not. Now, at the same time, we do also know sort of a big general statement. Sin is the cause of every bad thing. So, um, is it possible that your own sin could lead to some sort of sickness or infirmity or whatever? Well, yeah, of course it's possible. It's just that you, you shouldn't expect there to be a direct correlation. Sometimes I suffer because of other people's sin. And sometimes, you know what? I'm probably suffering because of my own. Oh, and then could you also, in a third way, it's a general sense in saying, like, if you're experiencing sickness or infirmity, it's like sin leads to death when our bodies experience decay and non-functionality. Like, it's... It's evoking this message that's saying my body was not originally meant to be experiencing what I'm experiencing right now, and that is because sin is in our reality and is affecting the way that God originally intended for us to live. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's exactly what we're saying. And so, and it's good that we have that sort of well-grounded picture in our head. So then what is he saying? I guess that's the important other part, right? Sin no more is a call to repentance. Jesus is telling this guy, you you want to be a part of the kingdom. You want to enter eternal life. And I'm just going to say, because you probably know this off the top of your head, Samuel, where else do we know that Jesus might say to someone, sin no more? Uh, wasn't it that the woman that was caught in adultery and about the drawing in the sand, that kind of thing, cast the first stone if you have no sin? Yes, exactly. It's in, for reference, that's in John chapter 8, verse 11 and around. Um, but it's the same thing. It's the same thing. Jesus wasn't telling her, hey, sin no more. So, and I don't know, fill in the blank, so you won't have to be a, an adulteress anymore, or so that people won't want to stone you anymore, or whatever. I mean, those, I mean, those are real things, 
but he was telling her to sin no more. It was, it was a general call to repentance. It was about the kingdom and eternal life. So what is the something worse that could happen to this guy? Got a guess, Samuel? Um, not, get, not getting to experience the kingdom and the world to come. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So it wasn't, hey, you know, before I healed you, you know, you were paralyzed in both legs. But if you keep on sinning, well, dude, you might be paralyzed in both legs and both arms. He wasn't saying that. He's saying you need to sin no more so that you don't forfeit your soul. You need to sin no more so that you too can attain the kingdom. It's a, ah, I mean, it's again, it's another one. It's easy to read over. Maybe not sure what he means or whatever, but it's it's just a beautiful picture. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I can't, Samuel, there is something wrong with my clock because it's telling me that we're out of time. Oh, no. <laughs> we just got started. <laughs> yeah, I I cannot wait until next week because I, I have a little bit of uh, uh, knowledge of where you're going to go, where the uh, teachings are going to go with this continuing story. And there are some amazing nuggets in, in there. Oh, yes, there are. Yeah, I was just, I mean, it's funny. Just almost studying. spoiled some of it. I was like, should I bring this up here? Or should should I wait? And nah. then I was like, oh, I remember it's coming up in a few verses. So I'm, I'm yeah. glad that hopefully there's some anticipation building. Yeah, it's funny. If you all could see me studying, I get these big smiles on my face and I get all excited and I'm flipping pages and clicking buttons and do it. I'm just like, oh, this is great. So I don't know. Hopefully you get the same excitement when you listen and you do study on your own and all that. It's good. Yeah. All right. We ready to to head off? Yep. We got to call it. We're done. Okie dokie. Thank you for listening to the Okie Dokie Most podcast. Please don't forget to hit that subscribe button so that you're notified when our episodes release on Sundays at 7 p.m. Eastern Time so that you never miss an episode. Our podcast is now available on all podcasting platforms, so please make sure you check us out on your electronic device and leave us a rating and a review while you're at it as well. You can also visit our official website at www.okidokimos.com for more information or to listen online. And finally, if you have any questions or comments, please feel free to send us an email at okidokimos at gmail.com. And until next time, we hope and we pray that you will do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. We'll talk to you again soon. Mm